project building to work on, uh, known as 123 North Poinsett Highway, the old Traveler's Rest Bank from way back. And we fixed it up and moved into it that following spring of uh, 09. And um, we did the best we could with what God provided for us. And we were just a core group. Um, you know, as church life unfolds, as we know, we live in a transient culture. People have come, people have gone. Um, but there was a great core of believers that uh, over the years formed uh, in that church, just a love bond with, uh, in the body of Christ here, and it's here now. And um, it was, how was it formed? It's formed through fellowship. We're very uh, strong and spending time after service. We have a little fellowship hall downstairs now that we uh, continue to use for that very reason, for people to uh, get to know one another because it's more than just walking through the doors and then walking back out and getting your car and leaving. That's more than that. It's, it's about relationships. So fellowship is a very important part of this body and has been f- from its inception. But working together and also uh, suffering together. Uh, there are several things that have happened in many of the family's lives here over the years that's helped shape us, um, make us the people that we are. And God uses those things to prepare us for the things to come and make us ready for uh, his plan as it unfolds in our lives. Yes, we know that known unto God are all the works from the foundation of the world, and we're uh, blessed to be walking in what God has for us. There's no greater fulfillment, no greater joy than to do what God has called you to do. Um, but it was this firm commitment, really, uh, the loyal love of these people who have served over the years and spent time praying and seeking the Lord. Um, it was just this core group has become quite tight, and people love each other, but it's time for the core group to become bigger. So God has given us uh, another facility on which we can do that. The Lord honored our faith, staying together. Uh, for 14 years, we saved, and we saved, and we saved, and we saved. <laughs> and we had uh, received enough funds that when this um, opportunity came along, we had a sufficient amount for the down payment. Uh, once again, people shared their talent, their time, and their treasure and helped building the church, and we were able to come up with what we needed. And then, um, by the grace of God, he knows how we are in favor of the banking system, so he gave us owner financing with the remaining balance. So our, on a move like this, oftentimes it's not a horizontal move financially. It's usually a, you know, up and you know, to, to better yourself, so to speak. It, not so with the Lord. It was a down move. We play le- not a lot, but less per month to be in this facility than we were renting. We uh, are, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Our utility bills, believe it or not, are less than that facility. And uh, so, I mean, God loves the deal, man, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> and so we're just really grateful. And so uh, we purchased the building. Uh, February 1 was our closing day. And within um, three weeks, we were able to support efficiently bring it together so that we could move out of that other building and into this one. And we've continued to work on it through the last few months to bring it to this point. There's still some things that need to be done, which is always the case with an older building. But for a building that had been set 
uh, had been empty for almost a couple of years. You know, it just uh, really, um, you know, we've come a long way. So just, and because of you guys, you're willing to give, you're willing to come and serve, get your, you know, hands dirty, sweat, you know, as they say, blood, sweat, and tears. That's what it takes to build anything of value. And so God's just done some really great things. We're very uh, blessed to make this a house of worship. No doubt when this building was first constructed and the people that were in it, it, they dedicated it to the Lord. And it sort of fell into disrepair. And as things go and human nature plays, it, some things don't always go well. But we're here today to rededicate this property and mostly ourselves to the Lord and, and make a commitment to do uh, his will here. So this is the day that we chose to do that. And we're glad that you c- could come and be part of that. What a joy it is uh, to celebrate this. You know, uh, we're really dedicating ourselves to the ministry of reconciliation. We were all separated from God at one time, and then something happened, circumstances changed in our lives. Somehow, the Holy Spirit convicted us of our sin. He convicted us of our great need for God in our lives. And somehow, miraculously, we yielded to the Holy Spirit and to that conviction, and we surrendered our lives to Christ. That is the ministry of reconciliation, and that's what he's called each of us to. That's our ministry here, to reconcile the loss uh, to the Lord and to disciple you know, people in the faith. So with that, um, I hope your hand's not sweating too much in Psalm 84, but we'll break this down a little bit here. Let me um, turn myself here and tell you we stand, stretch your legs again, and I hope Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go forth from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and Glory, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. You may be seated. I've titled this message, Desiring God. This is the psalmist that you notice there. It is the sons of Korah. And there's a little story, backstory that's quite interesting. We'll touch on it just briefly uh, during the message here. But first of all, we just want to break this down a little bit and unpack it. Yahweh's dwelling. 
the localized manifestation of his glory. And that is a wonderful thing when you think about it. We are now the manifestation of the glory. We are the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit indwells you and I as believers. Do people see the glory of God in your life? They should, for we are the temple of the Lord. His courts, think about the situation for the Israelites in coming to the tabernacle, coming to the door that would go into the tabernacle, and they would have a way in that inner court, that outer court, actually, the outer court where they could make things right with God through sacrifice. And then they could go on into the inner court, as it were, and face the truth of who God was and who God is and who they are, who we are before him. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And so as we look at the things that are in the court of God, there's peace, there's safety, there's grace, there's truth, there's life. That's what should be happening. That's what should be, be being experienced in the life of a believer when they attend the assembly of God. When we assemble together, there should be peace. There should be this safety, this security that we sense that we are in the presence of God. We should be experiencing the grace of God. We should hear the truth of God, learn who we are and who we are not before God. We really come to experience eternal life, the gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's, as he said here, how lovely are your courts. <laughs> oh, how lovely is your tabernacle. Exquisite, beautiful, pleasant, delightful. Now, there's probably a reason why they called this particular road Pleasant View. Unless you have an, you know, it's possible to have a, a, a sight problem. But when you drive down the road and you look to the right, if you're coming this direction, headed north, you can't help but look off to the right and see this large mountain range. Not too large, but a nice blue ridge to look at. It's pleasant. Pleasant view. You know, this is just a building, a brick and mortar, but we have sought to make it pleasant, to be beautiful, to be a, a, a distraction-free environment for, for each of us to come and to offer our prayers, to, to offer praise and worship unto God. It's just a building to keep us out of the elements and protected and sort of have that distraction-free experience. It's important that we uh, do the best we can with what we have where God has placed us, and that's what we sought to do. We don't worship the building, we just use it and take care of it. You know, uh, the model that we've sort of adapted over the years, given to us by one of the missionaries that we support, uh, we do what we can with what we have where God has placed us. That is a good model to live by. You know, it's important when it comes to the facility, the property, is that we don't give God the leftovers. You know, you don't want to be giving God second best. You want to give him your best. And, and that's, that's an important thing. You know, um, the Israelites, when they went to sacrifice, you can't bring the crippled. You can't bring the maimed. You've got to be a spotless lamb 
something without spot or blemish. You know, um, the Lord confronted Israel about that in the Old Testament, didn't he? Go ahead and offer that to your governor. See if he likes that crippled, maimed lamb. You think he's going to accept that? Well, if he won't accept it, why do you think I should? That's a paraphrase. But he, so he could, God knows. God knows if you, God knows if I'm giving my best. That's all he's asking. That's all we are required to do because it's important that we give God the best so that it's a lovely, pleasant place to be in. Notice as we continue through this psalm, uh, he, in verse 2, talks about what's going on inside uh, the sons of Korah. Their soul longs. You know, the idea of longing is yearning. You know, if you've, some of you uh, fellas have been in the military, maybe some of you ladies, but you've been separated uh, because of, the, of war or for whatever reasons because of the military. And there's this yearning that the wife has for her husband, that the husband has for his wife. And so you can kind of get the idea of that something is lost. The intimacy that you, you desired with that person is, is, is separated. It, it, it's not uh, something that can take place because of the uh, separation uh, in space. And so there's those times in our lives when we naturally feel separated from God, that we feel that God is at a distance. And so coming to a familiar place, coming to a place where others who love God can be there, and there is that, that loneliness, that longing is satisfied. I'm now in the presence of God. You know, my soul longs, yearns for the Lord himself. It's not about religion, is it? It's about having a true relationship with God, knowing that my sins are forgiven, that he loves me, and that he is taking me unto himself. He says, my soul faints. It means he's finished. He's at his end. And sometimes when you come to church, you might feel that way. I am done. I, am, I can't do anymore. And then the enemy comes in with condemnation. Yeah, you are done. Why are you even bothering to go to church? Those people... God's done with you, you know, and just those are lies. We have to learn to sort those things out. Those are natural things that we're going to experience in this separation that we have between ourselves and our Heavenly Father. Has anyone here ever seen God? No. We've not seen God in His glory. We are separated. Everything that we do in our relationship with God is by faith. We are trusting in his word, what he's revealed in scripture that he says about himself that is true. We are banking on that and he confirms that and he manifests confirmation after confirmation in our lives. We know that he's real. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know these things because the spirit bears witness and God has shown us these things. And when we don't have that, sometimes when we are so in beat by the world and by the enemy, sometimes we think we're at our end. And no better place to go than to the courts of the Lord, a place where you can re-engage with the Lord. Only because why? God is the only one who can satisfy that deep need that we have within our souls. Notice as we read through verses 3 and 4 there uh, that we can get a lesson from the birds. Now, this is not for the birds, <laughs> just to be clear, but it's something that we can learn from the birds. And he mentions the sparrow. He mentions the swallows. Now, those are the 
smaller birds, we know. Uh, the sparrows, it says, are seeking a home. Uh, symbolically, through history, the sparrows re- represented the lower class uh, as the elite would look down upon us. You know, uh, the animal kingdom sort of looks down upon this little creature. Uh, they're just the commoners. They're the plain, ordinary people. And uh, what is it about the plain, ordinary people? They just enjoy life for what it is. Family, friends, life. They just want a place to raise their kids. They want to live in peace and safety. And um, Jesus made a comment about the sparrows, did he not? In Matthew ten thirty one, Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The elite may not value you or I, and that's fine, but the Lord considers you individually of great value, so much so that he was willing to go to the cross, take the nails in his hands, in his feet, allow himself to be beaten beyond recognition, shed his blood, his precious blood, to provide our salvation Jesus thought you were valuable enough to purchase you and I out of the slave market of sin. And the swallows, well, they're considered happy birds. They sing and they eat. (laughs) They're great bug eaters, you know. Uh, If you've ever watched a swallow, they have incredible uh, maneuverability, if you will. Uh, And what are they, according to the psalm, they're just looking for a place to lay their young. You know, and that's just instinctive. They want a place of safety, a place of peace, a place where they can just come and rest. Isn't that what we're after? This is what we experience when we come and we fellowship with God in his house. We're to find rest and peace and safety. You know, just like, you know, you get the picture that these birds are in the temple precinct. They're in the area. And, you know, who's keeping them out? They know where the peace is. They know where the safety is, right? They know their creator. They figured it out. We can live here undetected (laughs) in peace and safety. And that's what they do. And that's what we should learn. We can live in the presence of God in peace and safety. Why? Because he is our king. He is our God. And Jesus exhorted us as his children to look to the birds to understand how much God really cares for us. Matthew 6, 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I haven't grown one inch since I became a Christian. (laughs) And most of you are aware of that. (laughs) And neither will you. You might lose a couple hairs along the way, but we're not talking about hairs or height, right? We're talking about the care of God. God wants us to know how valuable we are to him. Now you think, and you you may shake your head and think, What's to love? We are created in his image. He allowed us to be created. He created us to image him, to be his ambassadors on this planet. And something really bad happened to mess up that plan 
but it didn't change the plan. It just made it more difficult for us on this side of heaven because there's a cursed world and we have a fallen nature, but the mission is still the same. And what God has added to this is a way of displaying his grace upon fallen creatures. This is why it says these, this work of grace, this work of power of God through fallen creatures is something that the angels like to look into. Like, this is marvelous. The angels could never appreciate. They understood grace. They could define it, I'm sure. But they could not really see grace illustrated until God began to work with fallen man. And we should be able to understand grace. We are to relate to, to him on this basis. I love the writings of Francis Schaeffer, although I don't understand them all. One of the, the last of the great philo- Christian philosophers of our time. He passed away in 1984. But one of the phrases that he, uh, the Bible study that he did, uh, with God there are no little people. Uh, there are no little places. And it's one of those phrases that just sort of grip you. Um, when you think about it, because, you know, I was born a country boy and worked, grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, and most of us probably have a similar thing, you know, we're in, we've grown up in nowheresville, and so we think, man, we're of little value, who cares about us? Uh, probably nobody else but God, right? And that's okay. <laughs> um, and part of that is because of our limited ability, because of our frailty, because of the failures that we have. Um, but when we've consecrated our lives to God, that changes everything. What makes us as important is because we are of no little people, then there are no little places either. Wherever God has sanctioned you to be and to move about and have your being, that is where you will learn the most about him and you will make the biggest impact in the other people's in the others' lives that surround you. God has ordained that you be here. Even today, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And this is a wonderful thing. Dwelling in a place where we have constant fellowship with God. That's what it's about. Whether we are at work, whether we are at play, whether we are at church, wherever we are, we have this ongoing dialogue going on in our souls and our spirits that we are conversing with our Father in heaven. Lord, I need help doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you please give me understanding? All these kinds of things that go on. Lord, help me with to really love this person right now because I really want to do something else to them. You know, those kinds of things. Those are those moments, right? But God is your aid. God is your help. And so, and this is what God wants. Verse 5 talks about Yahweh becoming our strength and our, our desire for him. Uh, uh, it, and it comes from really having the right perspective on life. And the best perspective, the right perspective is, is to understand and let it grip your soul that this life is temporal. We are just passing through. Some people live very few days, months, and very few years. Others live to be of great age but they are all fleeting moments compared to eternity. And he, that psalmist here refers it to pilgrimage. That's, that word is used to uh, convey our journey through this life. So you see, we are going to a place that we have never been. It's been described for us. Sounds like a pretty good deal, but we've never been there, and we're on our, but we're, we're on our way there. 
and we're going, we're going to a place in which we will never return to this place. Once we're gone, we're gone. And we're not coming back. So if I can have that perspective of life, it will bring a soberness. It will bring a, a seriousness of, of how I'm to live my life. The choices that I make matter. That kind of thing comes, comes about. You know, you, you have to, you just have to come to grips with the facts that none of us are getting out of here alive. You just got to face that, that fact. Our lives are the epitome of being transient. The short existence and in this short existence, we have one of two paths that we can walk. We can either choose to walk the highway of holiness, or we can and be prepared to meet God and meet God unashamed because of the blood of Christ, because of his power, of his spirit living in us and through us to help us overcome our fallenness and to deal with this sin-cursed world. You can choose that highway of holiness or you can refuse and take the other road, the highway to perdition. Outer darkness. Yeah, there'll still be a first stop for everyone that leaves the planet. They'll meet with God. There'll be a review of the life. It'll be a time of shame. It'll be a time of remorse where the lost will realize that they have been deceived. They've been deceived about themselves. They've refused and rejected the truth. And they had a poor judgment and made wrong choices. The road of perdition is a road that leads to eternal separation from every living thing and all living people. And worst of all, that road ends in a complete separation from God. Everyone who is lost in eternity is separated completely from every living thing. That is a horrible destination yet those who have chosen to seek God and those of us who are taught by the spirit we are to desire and to look forward to entering into that eternal city of God Abraham God's faithful servant in the book of Genesis has his life story and Hebrews picked up on it verses 8 through 10 by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going in his, his pilgrimage. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God that's our destination. That's where we're going. That's where this pilgrimage is leading you and I. As I said before, God's been working on that city for at least 2,000 years because that's what Jesus said. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. If I go away, I will come again get you and he's coming are you ready are you hopeful are you expectant you should be but in this course of time in our pilgrimage he mentions something here that's important he mentions passing through the valley of Baca Baca is kind of an unknown place but it's what it stands for that, that 
that we experience because it's universal. It's throughout the whole world. There are lots of valleys of Baca. It is the valley of weeping. Pain and sorrow have been the plight of mankind ever since that first rebellion there in the garden. We were sentenced to death by their wrong choice right out of the gate. We didn't ask for it, but it happened. As a result of their being deceived and rebelling against God, we were born into a sin-cursed world with a fallen nature. As I said before, our initial calling was to Edenize the planet. Hasn't changed. Wherever we go, we should make the place better. We should clean it up, sanctify it, make it appropriate for its use. This is really what we've done with the building, is it not? Just cleaned it up, made it what it's supposed to be, made it beautiful and pleasant to be in. That's all it's about. But in our valley of Baca and our travel of experiencing pain and sorrow, what do we do? We weep. We cry. We experience severe trials, sometimes lots of tribulations. We have failures. We make mistakes. that We learn to regret most of them, if not all of them. We're subjected to many undesirable conditions and situations, and there's not a thing we can do to extricate ourselves from them. We're just stuck in the muck. But it is through those things that we learn something about the grace of God, do we not? And rather than learning to be angry and bitter because we've been subjected, what does the writer say? They dig a well. You dig a well. What's a well for? Wells for water. What's water for? Water is to refresh. That bad experience that Satan is using to discourage you, to steal from you, to rip you off, to destroy your life is going to be used by God to get you, show you something about his grace and his character and his love. And through that lesson, you're going to dig a well. And from that well, it's going to remain and others can drink from that well. You can pass on that experience to others and say, look, you know, I, I, I think I understand what you're, what you're going through. I kind of had that happen. And here's what, how the Lord got me through. See, though, that, that's... That's giving a cup of cold water to someone in need because you're willing to dig the well. It is a cursed state of pain and sorrow. But people of faith learn to work through this. They forsake anger. They forsake bitterness. They know that that defiles. They look for springs of refreshment. You know, what is this pilgrimage all about then? God is raising up a citizenry for the kingdom of heaven, tested, tested, time-tested servants. God has extended his loyal love to all of mankind, and those that have responded with loyal love is just a test. Will I remain faithful to God no matter what happens? Just like Job. I'm sort of glad, and you can probably you are too, that he's the one that the book is about and not ourselves, right? He's the one that went through it. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's what we learn. Will we be loyal to God no matter what happens in our lives? There's a lot of bitter pills to swallow along the way in the valley of Baca. But God mends broken hearts. He gives hope when there is no hope.
He gives strength when we are spent. He gives back what we lack so we can make it to the other side. We learn in all the ways, in all the situations, that his grace is more than sufficient. God is for us. God is not against us. Jeremiah 29, many of us know this verse by heart, 11 through 14. I know the thoughts, says the Lord, that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will release you from the bondage of sin because of the wrong choices that you've made. I'll gather you into myself. This is the work of grace. It says that in that valley of Baca, we actually go from strength to strength because of the Lord's provision. I love this Hebrew word, is hayal. It is to receive power, courage, to be brave in the midst of our pain and suffering. You know, these Israelites, and this is what probably comes from some of it, they were required to make it to Jerusalem. Now, if you lived a long ways from Jerusalem, it was obviously a longer trip and harder trip, and more subjected to a lot of negative things, I'm sure, but the men of Israel were required to come before the Lord three times a year, Passover, Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And in these journeys, as they would get near Zion, near Jerusalem, they would get stronger and more excited because of the appending week that they were going to spend that week in the presence of God, feasting with their brothers and sisters before Yahweh at his house. What an anticipatory time it would be for them to just be in that joyful presence of God. And so... This is a picture for you and I. As we make our pilgrimage towards heaven, we should become stronger. Are you stronger today in your faith than you were five years ago, if you've been saved that long? How about 10 years ago? Are you stronger in your faith now than ever before? It should be. We should be growing in strength and in the grace of God. We should trust him more because he's got a greater track record now through our life experience. It's so important that we become stronger and not weaker. And yet I have been, it's unfortunate that I have witnessed the opposite so often. I just can't take any more. If God really loved me, then he wouldn't let this happen to me. And people begin to gripe and complain about what's happened to them. Well, I feel bad for the bad things that happen to people. That is, it's hard. But I can guarantee that none of us have gone through what Jesus Christ went through. And so no one's made a greater sacrifice or lived under more pain and sorrow than our Savior. So we really are without excuse because grace is sufficient. We should become stronger. But we get these mind thoughts, this inner conversation within our Minds are constantly running. You know, we might be thinking, come Saturday night, well, you know, I had a rough week this week, you know. I didn't do so well. 
I'm pretty sure God really can't bless me too much this week because I messed up too much. You see, that's not the proper relationship etiquette for the believer. No. See, when you begin to relate to God on a performance base, basis, you're in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. None of us are perfect. Not even, you know, for a day can we say that we did everything perfectly. We never thought one bad thought. I mean, we're, we're fallen. You see, we relate to God on the basis of what, not what we do, but who he is. And what he has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus took care of all the righteousness. How can we be more righteous than him? And he gave his righteousness to us because we believe. So it's not on a performance basis that we relate to God. You see, what Jesus did is open the floodgates so God can lavish on us. Just like a doting grandfather over their grandchildren. Only a lot infinitely. Oh, what can I do for you? I love you, you little... mm. Kiss those kissable cheeks, you know. God loves us so much. He, if we relate to him on a basis of work, it sort of shuts the door to his blessing. But if we relate to him on the basis of grace, because we know we don't deserve it, he's all over us with his love and goodness. And that's what we sh- how we should be living before the Lord. I hope we understand this. We should. And, of course, in the Valley of Baca, we learn the great lesson of prayer. We learned to pray. We won't spend any time on that because we've done a lot of it and we're going to be into it again uh, shortly with the Lord's Prayer as we continue through Luke. But the last and final point here is our quest. What is really our quest? Our quest is reconciliation with God. This is what this dedication day is all about. You have been reconciled to God. I have been reconciled to God. Our quest is to reconcile others to God that are outside the faith. And this, this psalm and the writer of this psalm is the epitome. If you have a little note in your uh, leading up to this, the chief musician on the instrument of Goth, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Does anybody recall who the sons of Korah were? Yeah, some of us do as we made our way through uh, numbers and we had a little rebellion going on there. Um, the sons of Kor- Korah, uh, uh, with this tale of two fathers and two destinies, really. Um, they were in the time of Moses. This is Numbers 3. Uh, God had set aside the, the Levites, we know, and they were um, ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all the instruments of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and they were only the descendants of Aaron uh, were allowed to serve as priests, and that sort of uh, created a rub. Uh, Gershon, Merai, and Kohath were the sons of Levi, and these three groups would help the sons of Aaron with everything that pertained to the priesthood. So the Gershonites and the Maronites were allowed to transport items under their care on carts, but the Kohathites had to carry their items, the holy things, on their shoulders. And not only that, they couldn't touch them. The priest, under the uh, direction of Aaron's son Eliezer, 
would wrap all these holy articles in cloth and prepare them so the Kohathites could carry them. And I think they begin to represent, or how I I should say, uh, resent uh, the fact that they had to carry this heavy equipment from camp to camp to camp. And And it irked them. And it this burden of transporting these things from camp to camp bothered them. And so Korah led a rebellion and he was judged. The earthquake, the earth opened up and took out the 250 guys that joined him in the rebellion. But the point here is seven generations later, not all the family of Korah were destroyed. Probably the young children. You know, the children don't die for the sins of the parents. The parents die for their own sins, right? Seven generations later, one of the greatest prophets of, of the Old Testament, Samuel, came out of that line. And then, as we get to the time of David, this is just so cool. Uh, Heman is one of the guys, and he's actually considered almost... Uh, he, he's compared to Solomon in his wisdom. These guys were involved in the Directing the choir under David. He had these three groups that he put together. Um, but these, this, is the, this is written by a, a son of Korah. So would he be thinking, I've got a horrible history in my ancestral line. I mean, they, I mean, God judged them. There are people who actually believe they cannot come to God because there's some ancestral curse upon their family. Or they've done so many egregious things, there's no way that they could ever receive the pardon of God. Well, this just goes to show you that we serve a God of reconciliation. We serve a God that that heals and forgives. You may have had not a good beginning, but it doesn't really matter how you start, right? It's how you finish. And I just love this story that I've had to truncate a little bit. But this is the comment here. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to spend any time in the house of the wicked. That's where that comes. No doubt that's where it comes from. That's what they were. They're just the doorkeepers. You know what? Let's be humble enough to just accept whatever God calls us to do. And just accept, accept it because you know what? Father knows best. He created you. And he created me specifically for a certain task. And only you can image God in that way. I can only image God in the way that he's ordained for me. And you're on your own mission. I can't do your mission. You can't do my mission. Just think about a moment as we close here. As the team comes up here to close us out with a song. Think of the perfect oversight that God has had in your life. Yeah, you may have screwed up. You may have been outside the kingdom for a long time and maybe this morning you still are. There's, it's possible you just got invited. You know, you got drugged to church, Dave. Someone drugged you to church because, well, they're having this special thing and I want you to come today. You know, would you please come? You know, just, just show respect. All right. And you're outside the kingdom. Well, You don't need to be outside the kingdom. You don't want to be outside the kingdom. You want to receive the forgiveness that Jesus is offering to you. And all it is is a matter of you asking him 
for forgiveness. Lord, I know I have sinned. And I don't know that you've got to remember every sin. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've committed some sins that I've forgotten, didn't want to remember, and, you know, selective memory. I don't think you have to confess every sin. Maybe every time, you, if you think of one, fine. But that's not what it takes to be saved. Just know that you're lost and you need a Savior. Just ask Him for forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness to that and ask the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence. Come into your life. Fill you with his love. Fill you with his grace. And begin to walk the walk and fulfill the purpose and destiny that God has created for you. You don't want to be walking the road to perdition. You want to walk the highway of holiness. Shall we pray? Father, may your word settle deep down into the hearts and lives of those who are here today. May it find a lodging place to produce fruit and joy and peace in knowing you and in loving you. Bless your people now as we take this time to pray uh, for this building, this property, and for one another. In Jesus' name.